Y'all awake? Yeah. I love that intro. Um, and last week I said I wanted that upbeat music because this is this moment and that we're talking about in history. This is where Jesus, you know, last week we, we talked about the ascension, that Jesus gave them that Acts 1-8. Wait, wait in Jerusalem. Some power's coming, right? And it's like the locker room talk, you know, all right, we're going to go win. And, you know, the team, it's like Jesus is coaching them on, like, let's go. You know, something's about to happen. And today, Acts chapter 2, it's happening, all right? Uh, we get into this story. If you haven't been with us uh, here at New Hope, we um, have decided that this year is going to be a year in the Word. So we are doing books of the Bible. We started right before Easter with Luke, the book of Luke 22, 23, and 24, which led us to Easter uh, in the chapter 24. And then, uh, and then Luke wrote the book of Luke, and Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So same author, he continues the story. And so that's what we're into now, the continuation of the story in the book of Acts. And if you're new to New Hope, maybe you're new to this whole church thing, perfect time to show up because you get to see what happened in the very first church. You get to understand why we do what we do and why we gather together and what is this whole thing, okay? And so perfect timing because we're learning about the Holy Spirit and the church through the, books, through the book of Acts uh, together, okay? Um, and so last week, like I, like I said, you guys remember Jesus was right? The whole ascension thing, right? Jesus, boom, he went up to heaven. The disciples were like, whoa, what just happened? Angels looked at him and said, why are you waiting? What are you looking at? Like, he's going to come back the same way he went. That's a promise. That was one of the points. Jesus promises his return. And, um, and he said, so go wait in Jerusalem. Like, go. Uh, something else is going to happen, but you need to wait in Jerusalem. And so we're in chapter two now where they're in Jerusalem. They're in an upper room. And we saw the end of that chapter that there was about 120 of them together. This wasn't just the, the 12 disciples. Like there was a group of followers of Christ that all saw the risen Savior and they were waiting. What is going to happen next? And that's where we're at in the story, okay? So we'll get there in just a second. I've got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to do my best. I'm hoping you can follow me um, because I have more slides than I think I've ever had. So you all ready? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, so I want to start, I always start with like an illustration to kind of connect this and connect all together and connect the dots of something. So imagine this, all right? Imagine this. Um, I, sometimes it boggles my mind because we're all different when it comes to vehicles and cars. And you guys know I talk about cars a lot because I like cars, right? And so it's like, okay, Tim's, of course, using the car illustration. Um, sorry, if I was a sports car, it would be baseball or football. You know, it would be other things. Um, I have a limited interest, all right? And so imagine this. I don't know how many of you, how many of you had like a dream car when you were growing up? Just show of hands. I'm just curious. How many of you like had the car that you're like, man, I, when I get a car, I would love to get that car. How many of you own your dream car? I'm just, okay, I'm jealous. All right. So like one day I'll, I'll own that Aston Martin Vantage. All right. I'll get there on a pastor's salary. It's not going to happen. All right. Um, I'll rent one for a day and still will be really expensive, but uh, but right, imagine this. So imagine I had lots of money. I was just a really wealthy guy, and I decided I just want to bless you, and I'm going to buy the car of your dreams for you. And, uh, and some of you, you know, that might, that might have been like an old classic car. Some of you, it's like, oh, I have this, I have this brand new car I'd love to get. Some of you are like, ooh, I love electric cars, this whole electric car thing, or, or a truck, maybe it's a truck, or I don't know if you've seen the Rivian trucks, the electric trucks are really cool. Um, so maybe for you, either way, I was able to buy you your dream vehicle. And I pulled it on a trailer and I parked it in your driveway and you came out in the morning and saw your dream vehicle just sitting in the parking lot. I mean, this is called Lexus Christmas commercial deal, right? All right, Red Bow and everything's on top of that sucker. Would you be excited, right? You'd be pretty excited like, wow, that is so awesome. Such an amazing gift. Now imagine you had that gift, but 
there was no gas tank or there was no charger plug on that vehicle. What would you think then? Yeah, lead down. Thank you. Like, (laughs) that sucks. Like, basically, you bought me lawn art. You know, like, I can't do anything with this. Um, Now I'm going to look like I live in West Virginia in the hills, but a nicer version, right? Let's take the wheels off and sell them. Uh, See, now the thing is, thank you for laughing at that, by the way. Um, (laughs) The thing is, though, this is how some of us live in our spiritual life. Okay, some of us, like, you know Christ. Maybe you have had a salvation experience. Maybe you came to faith and you trust Jesus, and all of a sudden things are different inside of you. And you're like, wow, I'm saved. Like, this is amazing. And, and then what you might try to do is just try to live in that spiritual life on your own power. We've talked about that here at New Hope. And, uh, and so this whole thing that we're talking about, Christianity, if you're trying to live it that way, it is as if you have a brand new car, but no gas or no gas tank in it. Because you're not going to get very far spiritually if you're trying to do this thing in your own power. Uh, here's my point number one. We're hopping right into points, okay? So if you have your worship program, some of you notice it's smaller. All right, we'll tell you more about that at the end. But, but this is point number one. Spiritual enthusiasm or emotional excitement and the sparkle of new will not sustain you. Spiritually speaking, like when you come to know Christ, boom, there's an excitement there. And, and it's, it should be kind of all-inclusive, like your emotions are in, like, wow, I've, I've, I emotionally feel better. I have this spiritual excitement, like, oh my gosh, like this is brand new. And in the sparkle of this newness of this thing that God might be doing, or, or maybe it's a new church that you experience God in a new way. And you're like, what is this? But the reality is if that's what you're going on, it's as if you have the nice car, but you don't have the fuel to drive it. Spiritual enthusiasm, emotional excitement, and the sparkle of new will not sustain you in your spiritual life. It'll start you, but it won't sustain you. We talked about that last week. The disciples were probably on a huge high. They just saw Jesus ascend into heaven for Pete's sake. They're probably like, let's go. You know, like, like this is this risen Messiah. Like, let's go start telling everybody. Let's go. Start. And Jesus said, don't do that. You go wait. You go wait in Jerusalem for what is about to happen because they could not do it in their own power. They did not have it within them because it would have been driven on this. Spiritual enthusiasm, emotions, they're fickle pickles, right? The sparkle of new, what was new starts to fade. But this is what he promised in the first chapter, right? He told them, but you, you will receive power when who? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the far as the remotest parts of the earth. He's like all over the place. But you can't do it in your own power. You will receive the power, meaning the power pack, the gas, the fuel, the plug, whatever it is to charge up whatever's going about, about to happen. They have not received yet. The Holy Spirit is coming but they are waiting in Jerusalem for this Holy Spirit. Now, this, this, uh, this, this power, this word power, if we go to back to the original language, the Greek here, when it says you will see power, it's this word um, dynamis or dynamis or, or dunamis, all right? There's different ways to pronounce it. It's Greek, and this, this literally means, in the Greek, it means you will receive miraculous power, meaning like supernatural power. Something beyond you will be on you, something that, that you have never experienced before. For us, I don't know if you recognize it, it, it's the root word for our word, dynamite, right? Like it's explosive power. Like the Holy Spirit is beyond normal power. We don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit because it is greater than 
anything we can muster up in our own strength and power here in this world, right? And so that's what he promised him, that you stay there, you're going to receive dynamite. <laughs> you're going to receive miraculous power. Wait for it. Wait for it to come. And so now here they are, chapter 2. They're waiting, and it's about to happen, okay? Now, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I breathed in the wrong way. Um, now, before we get into what happens in chapter 2, I, I want to explain the, the day that this happened, okay, before we get into it. Because it, we call it Pentecost, right? And most of us as Christians, and even me growing up, like the only thing I knew about Pentecost was that was the day the Holy Spirit showed up. Not realizing Pentecost was Pentecost way before the Holy Spirit showed up. Because the day of Pentecost was actually a celebration. It was a day, it was a festival, a feast that the Jews would celebrate every year. Like this was a common celebration. Was, Penta means five, cost I don't know what that means, but it, what it is, it's, five, it's 50 days, the five, it's 50 days after Passover. So they would celebrate it after that, and all the men were required from all the regions from all over the place to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate this specific feast and festival. I, I need you to understand, like, this whole thing, remember we went back to chapter uh, 22 of Luke, and we started this journey where Jesus and his, and his uh, disciples were in the upper room and they were celebrating Passover. And that whole story was that Jesus was changing Passover. They were drinking, there's four different cups that Jews drink from during Passover and each time they would drink, each cup represented a promise of God from when they were freed from slavery in Egypt. And so they remembered that at Passover that the, the spirit of death passed over them because of the blood of the lamb was spread across their doorframe. And that was all a foreshadowing, a foretelling of Jesus being that final lamb hung on the cross, shed his blood for us, the final sacrifice, right? And he was telling them, I'm drinking from the third cup, which is the cup of redemption, because my blood is going to redeem you. And he reset what Passover meant, right? Um, so that's when Passover, let me show you some of the, how this works. So that was Passover. These are the Jewish feasts in the Old Testament. And then there would be the, the feast of the first fruits. So the first fruits were the first sacrifice that would be given. It was the, the first and the best of the crops and everything that, 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 um, that they had collected would then go to the temple as a part of worship to God. It was, it was them thanking God for providing for them. That's what the first fruits was. And so they would have this celebration. Do you know what day of the week? So Passover was on a, what day? Friday. Feast of the first fruits was on a Sunday. Do you find that interesting? The first fruits is when Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. He was then the first fruit of God for salvation for us. Like, all of these things have so deep meaning. Like, I don't have time to get in all of it. It's just really, really cool when you start studying this stuff. And you're like, whoa! Because God was resetting what he did in the Old Testament for a new covenant. The new relationship, the new way that we have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. The whole Old Testament pointed to Jesus is what we're learning. If you don't know the Old Testament, you're like, aren't we just living in the New Testament? Isn't that all I need to know? If you don't know the Old Testament, you won't understand the depths and the richness of what God has done in the New Testament and what he's doing today. You won't get it because then we get to the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the, the, the celebration for the Jews of harvest. So it was 50 days after Passover. They would celebrate the harvest, the first harvest. And that harvest would be like thanking God for you provided everything we needed. 
that, that you are the God of the harvest. And in that harvest, it was the newness of that harvest that came that they got to experience. So the day of Pentecost now is being changed. From the celebration of the harvest, it's a celebration of the new, not a new crop, but a new work of God and the Holy Spirit. Isn't this so cool? It's so interesting. So you can dig into the studies and, and all that kind of stuff if, if you want to, but I want you to understand why Jesus said wait. <laughs> wait until the proper time, the proper day when it's all going to align. Because now they are all in Jerusalem, not just the disciples, but people from every tribe of Judah, all the nations who are Jews, all these men are in Jerusalem for this very specific moment that's going to change everything. Isn't this cool? Okay. So that's the significance of what's going on right now. And so here we are, Acts chapter 2. The disciples are waiting in the upper room, and we're going to hop into it. So if you have your Bibles, I always say here New Hope, grab your Bibles or open your phone to your Bible, right? Um, I know you're not checking any scores because there's no games, so um, it's okay. Get on your phones if you want to. Get to the book of Acts uh, chapter 2. I'm reading from the New American Standard, um, and you can read whichever version you're comfortable reading in. Um, but this is, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do the first 13 chapters, and then we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about some stuff, and then we're going to do the last chunk of it. It's going to be a lot in the end, okay? What did I say? I missed something? Yes, 13 chapters. I said that earlier, and they're like, you're reading 13 chapters this morning? Sorry, 13 verses. All right. Some of you are like, I've, this is my first time in New Hope. How long are we going to be here? All right. All right. You're with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody with me? See, yep. yep. All right. When the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place, and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, uh, dis- uh, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them. This is a crazy image right here, right? Like, it's like, what is happening? They didn't know what was happening. They're like, what is this? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, speak with different tongues or languages. As the Spirit has given them, or was, um, let me read it. As the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why? Because it was Pentecost. They were all there. For all these different languages, all these different nations, all these different nationalities, we're all there together. Watch what happens. So cool. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Oh, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They're like, what? If they're all Galileans, how are they speaking my language? How, I don't understand what's going on. Why am I hearing my own language? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then a, a list of a bunch of people. All right, I'll do my best. Parthians, the Medes, and the, and the Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Phrygia, uh, that's fry foods there. So, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, which is a big deal. Rome was the center of the world at that point, right? Like all roads led to Rome. That was the reality for real. Both Jews and proselytes, 
So those that converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues or languages of the mighty deeds of God. So what were they talking about? God, the mighty deeds of God. They were saying, this is what God has done. This is the first moment in every tongue, every language, everyone there heard about Jesus and what he had done. And they all continued in amazement and great uh, perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? I would have been confused. Would you not have been confused about what is going on? This is crazy. But others were jeering and saying, they are full of sweet wine. <laughs> so others are like, they all drank. They're all, a little tipsy here. What's going on? Which is hilarious. We have a tendency to excuse what we don't understand. And it still happens today in church. If God does something that doesn't make sense to us, we will either excuse it, like, I don't, I don't know what that was God. I don't know what that deal was, right? Or we'll accept and be like, I don't know, what, but I believe that was God. Like, we're all, we all still have the same human nature they had in that moment. We all still struggle with these things. Now, in this moment, I, I, this is when the Holy Spirit came upon them in a way that had never been done before, Right? I want to explain what, what was going on in this moment. There are some people who take this one passage about the Holy Spirit and they write their entire doctrine of the Holy Spirit based upon what just happened. And if you do that, you're actually limiting what the Holy Spirit is all about, okay? Because the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a part of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He was sent in a new way in this moment. We read through the Old Testament. I'm just going to do this very quickly. I'm not going to go, I don't have a lot of time. So we see the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament, but working in a different way. When, when you see the Holy Spirit show up in the Old Testament, the first way you see it is, is in creation. The Holy Spirit hovering across the waters, right? Like the Holy Spirit was a part of creation as the Son and the Father. All, the Trinity was a part of all of creation in the very beginning. Then you see certain individuals where it would say the Holy Spirit came upon them and when, when the Holy Spirit came upon somebody in the Old Testament, it was to accomplish something that God wanted them to accomplish. It was the empowerment of God's will for that person to do whatever they were told to do by God. The Holy Spirit was not on everyone in the Old Testament. It was very selective when you see the Holy Spirit show up, right? Like you see Moses. The Holy Spirit was upon Moses, we see a scene, it's pretty interesting, with Moses when he was leading the Israelites, you know, and like millions of people, and he was trying to be the judge over all these millions of people, and they were coming in the tents, and, and he was having to like be judge and, uh, and help people find answers, and like he was killing himself. One guy, millions of people, and his father-in-law shows up, Jethro shows up, and says, this is not good what you're doing, Moses. You're, gonna, you're not going to survive this. Why don't you find uh, some other leaders, some other elders from the, uh, from the camp and let them lead hundreds and fifties and tens? Like he created a leadership structure for Moses to then lead the people. And the thing that's very interesting in this process of what happened, so he gets these elders there with Moses who has the Holy Spirit upon him to accomplish what God called Moses to do to lead the people. And it says God took some of the Holy Spirit off of Moses and placed it upon these other elders. So now there were 70 that had the Holy Spirit upon them to help Moses do the work 
of what needed to be done with the Israelites. Now these then 70 go out and they start prophesying to the people. Joshua, who is the right-hand guy of Moses, says, what is happening? Like, Moses, aren't you going to make them stop doing this? And this is so interesting. Moses says, no, no, no. Oh, wouldn't it be great? This is Tim's paraphrase. Wouldn't it be great if God would pour out his spirit on all of us? It's really interesting that Moses saw the Holy Spirit upon him be then put upon others and now he's like, I mean, it's not all on me. Now it's on, uh, it's, the power is spread. Oh, what if everybody had the Holy Spirit? In this moment of history, that wasn't going to happen. I would say that's more like a prayer of Moses to be like, oh, wouldn't it be great? But it didn't happen yet. And we see that happen throughout the Old Testament on specific individuals where the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody like Samson. And you read this, the story of Samson is messed up. Someday we'll, do, we'll read that book and, and you'll see how messed up it is. But, but the Holy Spirit came upon Samson in very specific times to use his strength to do specific things. Like, that's what happened. Sometimes it didn't make sense. I'm like, why did the Holy Spirit empower him to do that? But that's up to God, not me. So we see that all throughout. It, another interesting one was, because you think, oh, the Holy Spirit's only there to do this amazing, powerful stuff. It said when they were building the temple of God, the craftsmen that came to work on the projects in the temple, the Holy Spirit came upon them to do the craft to build the temple. So it wasn't just for signs. It was for a craft to build. But all through the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit coming upon for specific reasons and purposes. Not everybody had the Holy Spirit back then. And so now here we are in a completely different scene. The story was about to change. Because Jesus had promised them, let's, let's get in the Wayback Machine here into uh, Luke 24. Because uh, in Luke 24, before all this happened, he said, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are what? Say it with me. Clothed with power. From where? On high. You're clothed with it. He was promising them something. Jesus was saying, things are about to change. We, we see Jesus started changing how the Holy Spirit worked. Do you remember at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in um, John where Jesus is baptized and what happened? The Holy Spirit, and it says, looking like a dove, meaning the Holy Spirit's not a dove, okay? It's just a symbol. Came down and rested on Jesus at his baptism. You're like, well, didn't he already have the Holy Spirit? complicated, right? All I know is that the Holy Spirit came upon him at baptism. The Heavenly Father said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And that was the moment then he started his ministry. A new empowerment of the Holy Spirit on Jesus. Now his ministry is beginning. Jesus is not just our Savior. He is our example. He is our model. We see how to live this Christian life by how Jesus lived it. And he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the miracles, to do the work. And he, the thing is with Jesus, he had every gift of the Spirit. We don't all, we don't get every gift of the Spirit. Each of us gets a gift or maybe one or two gifts from the Spirit to use and be empowered in. Jesus had them all. And so he gives us an example how to be led by, because the very next phrase is he's baptized by the Spirit and then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to pray and fast. So he is covered with and then led by. His disciples didn't have all that yet. They were following and trying to understand this whole thing. They were confused a lot when they were walking with Jesus. And like Jesus is teaching, they're like, 
Like, what is he saying? I don't understand. Like, and, and that gives us hope because that means sometimes we're confused and we're with good company, right? We, we know that the disciples were confused at times too. And that's okay because our faith isn't based upon our logic. It's based upon faith, right? I mean, we have logic. We understand. There's things that we know that we know. So we don't like delete that part of our being. But I'm not saved by logic. I'm saved by faith. I'm saved by what I know about Jesus and what I believe about him and my trust in his perfect salvation for me. And so the disciples were trying to figure this out. And then we see Jesus would put some power on them to go then do works of ministry, right? He sent them out, sent out the 72, go heal people, go cast out demons. But they still weren't doing it in the full empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They were doing it based upon what Jesus had let them do, kind of like with Moses and then to the elders. And so Jesus is the whole time he's saying, oh, but it's about to change. He tells the disciples, you're going to do greater things than I do. I'm like, how is that possible? Because of the promise. Because of the promise. Jesus could only do so much as, as the man, Jesus. He was all God and all man, which we still, our brains can't comprehend. And so he said, I got to go so that you can receive power, dunamis, dynamite, miraculous from heaven, so that you can do all that God is going to call you to do. So in this point in history, we see a shift and change in how God works amongst man. And he then pours out his Holy Spirit, not just on a person for a reason, but he pours it out on all when this moment we see that the tongues came down and the fire showed up and the power came, remember who was in that upper room. It wasn't just the disciples. All of them were up there. I mean, 120 is what it said in the chapter right before. All of them had the Holy Spirit come upon them. All of them were out talking in all the languages amongst all these hundreds and hundreds. And we learned thousands of other Jews from every tongue and nation around there hearing the gospel in their own language and in their own word. This is what I want you to know in this moment where it all changed is this, that Jesus's promise of our heavenly father sending the Holy Spirit has been fulfilled. He did it at this moment in Acts chapter two. He kept promising, kept promising, and kept promising. He ascended and then he sent. And then we were gonna read through the whole book of Acts together over, the, over these next weeks. Into, into the summer and through June. Um, and in, I think we're going to end in July. And what we're going to understand and we're going to see is that this experience that happened here, this moment right here was for the Jews. It was for the Jews who came to celebrate Pentecost. And then this message is going to spread now to the Samaritans. Now, you remember the Samaritans? They didn't like the Jews. They were like, there was racial tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. They didn't like each other. But they're going to hear the, the Samaritan is going to hear the message and they're going to receive the Holy Spirit and they're going to experience something just like this. And then we're going to see it again then with all the Gentiles. The exact same thing. So we see this flow through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit pouring out to the Jews, then the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles. And the whole New Testament, just so you know, there's a tension in all of it through all of the Christians and especially the leaders of the church because they're like, what do we, I don't, how do we, we're Jews. They're not Jews. Should they obey the law? All the law that we had, not obey the law. If you're confused by that, go back and watch. Uh, watch. Yeah, you can watch the messages on the book of Galatians that we did, right? Because 
Because, like, the book of Galatians kind of debunks all that myth and uh, set things in, into place of we don't have to live into the law of the Old Testament in order to be saved or to stay saved, to be with God or stay with God. We have everything we've been given in faith through Jesus Christ, right? Okay. Are we, are, are we all together? Yes. Yeah? All right, good. Because now we're going to read a lot, okay? Um, so, so we've got a lot of verses to get into because I'm going to go 14 to 41 and, and unpack it a little bit as we read it as we get into this uh, second half of chapter 2, okay? So the scene, everybody's hearing it, and there's some doubters that are like, they must be drunk, right? They must be a little tipsy, you know, that kind of thing. He said, no. So then Peter, and here's the interesting thing with Peter. I'm already stopping. I only read two words. But Peter, do you know what, do you know what Peter did, like, not that long ago? When Jesus was, was being led to the cross, he denied Jesus three times. Then he felt shame, right? He messed up royally. If you look through all the Gospels, Peter, can, <laughs> he couldn't control his mouth, right? Like Peter would speak and then think. Like Peter was like this kind of guy. And so to see this same guy, Simon Peter, who was now like uh, broken and like didn't really have his act all together, you know, and kept messing up with Jesus. That Peter is the first one to preach the gospel message. I need you to hear this loud and clear. The perfect. He chooses who he wants to, usually in the messiness of their life, to bring them to do something great for him, for others. Peter was messed up, but God chose him while he was still fishing. Peter was not an educated man. He wasn't a religious man. He wasn't a priest. He, wasn't, he didn't know everything. But in this moment, when he receives power from the Holy Spirit, all that changes. All that changes. Because Peter, taking his stand with the other 11, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, know this and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you assume, since it is only the third hour of the day, which is nine o'clock in the morning. All right, he's like, this is, no, we're not drunk yet. Even if we were drinking, not enough to even get drunk. It's nine in the morning. Like, we're, what are you thinking? He says, but this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. Now, this is really interesting because this is what Jesus did with the Jews. He would, he would take them back to the Old Testament. He'd say, remember when the Old Testament talked about the Messiah coming and what needed to happen? And, 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 and like he would walk them through, remember the road to Emmaus? And walk them through to where he's like, and so that's why all this happened. And this is why Jesus had to die and be in the tomb and then raise again. Like the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. And now he's going to do the same thing. He's like, do you guys remember what Joel said? And this is what he says. And he goes back to the Old Testament. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. What? This was like blasphemous in the Old Testament because he had never done that. Holy Spirit only came on somebody for some time. But in that the prophecy was that my spirit will be on all mankind. 
and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will have dreams. And even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will display wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. Let me stop right there. I believe some of this prophecy just got fulfilled in Acts 2, and some of this prophecy is still waiting to be, uh, to come, okay? So he is saying that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all mankind, and not only just like the important people, he says, no, on the male and the female servants, meaning the master and the slave, both are going to have the same Holy Spirit and the same power. Like there's going to be no favoritism when it comes to the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. Because culturally, like I said, Samaritans, Jews, not friends, racial tension, right? Slaves uh, or slaves, rulers, leaders, there were, there were um, societal barriers amongst people. And Peter's saying, no, the Holy Spirit is going to show no favoritism. Poured out on everyone. This is a new work of God showing up in this point of history. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I believe the first half has happened. The second half is the book of Revelation. The second half we're waiting for. It's the return of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. We live in the time of the point of history in, in, in God's realm where it's the Spirit. We live in the time of the Holy Spirit waiting for the time of the return back to the Mount of Olives where he just ascended, oh, you know, up in heaven and he's going to come down. Ooh, you know, like, I don't know how it's going to look. But that's what's going to happen. Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as yourselves know. He's like, you all saw this. All of these things happened in Jerusalem, right? And not like thousands of years ago, like this was 50 days ago, <laughs> like, like not that long ago, this Jesus was crucified. You've all heard the rumblings of him being resurrected. Us, we're witnesses of it. All of this happened right around the corner, a block over, and we are all witnesses of it. And you guys have already heard about it. This is that Jesus we're talking about. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. <laughs> Whoa. This is not like a happy sermon. If you just live a good life, you're going to be with Jesus. No, he's like, you killed him. <laughs> like, <laughs> Peter's like, in the power of the Spirit, is opening their eyes to what has happened around the corner to this Jesus, and you were all there. You said, crucify him, crucify him. And he's preaching them. He says, but God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death. Amen. Since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. That's a lowercase p power. Death's power is lowercase p. The Holy Spirit's power is uppercase. <laughs> it is dynamite. It is dunamis. It's, it's miraculous. It is no, <laughs> it has no power compared to the Holy Spirit. For David says of him, so now he's going back to another Old Testament. So here's what Joel said, and now here's what David, when you mention David to a Jew, it's like, oh, everybody listen, right? 
because David was king. David was like, he's, he's the hero. For David says of him, I saw the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue was overjoyed. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. He's talking about Jesus. David, this is the these prophecies of the Messiah. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And he says this, Brother, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and, is, and his tomb is with us to this day. He's like, he's not talking about himself. David did die. His bones did decay. He's got a tomb. He's talking about this Jesus, this Messiah whose body did not decay and is not in a tomb. So because he was a prophet and knew that God has sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. It is this Jesus whom God raised up, a fact to which we are all witnesses. <laughs> He's like, we've seen it. Some of you have seen him in his resurrected form. We are not saying these things because of what we think is a good idea. We're not preaching because this is our own words. He's like, this is the Holy Spirit, and we have seen the resurrected Messiah. Therefore, since he has been exalted at the right hand of God, which is where he is right now, and has received, and has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out this, which you both see and hear. All of this, all of this is based on the promise of God. I need you to know when God promises something, he delivers on it. He does not withhold his goodness and his promise. When he promises, he gives. And Peter is now in front of all these Jews saying, you killed him. He didn't stay there. Let me tell you what Joel said. Let me tell you what David said. And that is who we're talking about, the Messiah. And now that he has ascended up into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of our Father, he is there. The Father promised him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us. And when he says pour out on us, he's saying not just us as disciples. It's because we're, we're with Jesus and so we get them, but you guys don't get them. Sorry. It's like, no, poured out on all mankind from the bottom to the top, from the east to the west, everywhere. This is the promise of God. I still got more to read. All right, for it was not David who ascended into heaven. Of course not. But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that, that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Again, he's pointing his finger at him. I can see it. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we to do? This message pierced them to the heart because the Holy Spirit is opening all of their eyes 
to the truth. You crucified him. You murdered him. You hung him on the cross. It was a part of God's plan, but you were a part of that plan and not the good side. And now here he is. He's seated on the throne, and you stand accused, and now they're like, crap. What do we do, Peter? <laughs> like, <laughs> what do we do? How, how can we fix this? How? I know that some of us in this room and some of us listening online right now, you're at a point in your life and things are happening in your life that you don't understand. That they're beyond your experience, they're beyond your knowledge, and they may be things that are so painful that you would never dream your enemy to go through those things. And yet you find yourself in a season of great difficulty and you're wondering, what do I do? I want you to know that what you do, if you do it in your own power, you will have limited effects. And whatever it is you're going through. You might see some, some things change. You, you might be able to just naturally get out of circumstances, and that happens. Things change, seasons go. But unless you understand that there's a greater power that wants to meet you in your place of pain, that wants to meet you in, in a place of, of a roadblock or a difficult situation, I need you to know there is a greater power who wants to do things you can never and will never be able to do in the midst of that circumstance. That's where all these Jews were when they're saying, oh no. They just heard the worst news ever. They were a part of killing their own Savior. And now Peter is saying, or now they're asking Peter, what are we supposed to do? I mean, should we send him a letter? Like, do you, where did he go up? Can we shoot something up in Mount Olive? Olives? Can, like, what are we I don't know what's going on in their heads. But I know a lot of us have felt this way in life, and some of you feel that way today. Like, what in the world am I supposed to do? I think the answer he's about to give them is the same answer all of us need to hear. Peter said to all of them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. Repent. Repent, like, if you grew up in church, and, or maybe you like, have heard pastors preach back in the day, the word repent, for me, growing, I grew up in the church, okay? So, so like, I was born in the church, grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. Like, I, I've, I've heard message on top of message. And anytime I heard the word repent when I was younger, it always felt like a, it felt like a dirty word. Like, it felt like a, a, an angry word. Like it, it, it wasn't inviting. It was like, repent! It's like, I don't want that. If God's up there, like, just pointing his finger at me, and he's this angry, like, dad in heaven that's looking at me like, you've messed up, you better get right. Why would I want to run to that, Father? The word repent, all it means is, I was going this way, 
and now I want to go that way. That's all it means. It means to turn. He's saying, turn from what you were thinking about and how you believed and turn to Jesus. <laughs> it's way better, I'm telling you. So tur turn from your sin and give it to Jesus. Turn from the brokenness and the situation you're in, the hurt you're going through, and turn and give it to Jesus. That's what repent means. It's not a harsh word. It is one of the best words in the Bible. We are given the opportunity to turn and give and be with Jesus. So he says, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. See, this is, this, this is brand new, baptized in Jesus. Like John the Baptist in the, in the Gospels, he was John the Baptizer was his name because he was in the wilderness and he was baptizing people in the water. And the thing is, he wasn't, he was starting this and giving a foreshadowing of what this baptism was going to be. It wasn't. So now we get to this point. Said, now, maybe you're baptized by John. Now be baptized in the name of Jesus. This is a new baptism. When you get baptized, by the way, the word baptist, bap, uh, baptism or to be baptized, it's baptismo is a Greek word. It means to immerse. It means to get wet all over. Best illustration, who loves Oreos? The only way to eat an Oreo is if you have a glass of milk and you baptizo that Oreo in that milk. And that Oreo has got to get wet all over, man. Boom. That's what baptism is. It's being wet all over. It's being covered with. And so the baptism in Jesus, like we do it as an external representation. It's the visual of what we've done with Jesus. I am now baptized into Jesus. I am fully immersed in Jesus. You with me? And so he's like, be baptized in the name of Jesus. Let Jesus be all over you and for the forgiveness of your sins. See, for them, the Jews, the only way to be forgiven of sins is they had this whole process and they had a temple and they had to, to go to the temple and they had to say, okay, all the sins, we're going to place all of your family sins onto this animal, onto the sheep or go to whatever it was. And you're going to place, and it was all symbolic leading up to Jesus, okay? And so they would place their sin on that animal because something had to die whenever you sin. Whenever you sin, something has to pay for that sin. It should be us dying for our sin and said, no, we're putting it on the animal. The animal's going to die in our place for our sin. And that blood poured out should be ours, but it's not because we placed it on the animal. And they would do that day after day. And when Jesus came, the final sacrifice, once and for all, the perfect lamb of God, he took our sin. It's as if we put our hands on Jesus on the cross and he said, thank you. I'm taking your sin for you. And I'm pouring out my blood for you. That's what he said. My body, my blood, broken and shed for you. The only way for forgiveness of sins isn't through an animal. It isn't through religion. It's only in Jesus. So be immersed in Jesus and let him and his sacrifice on the cross be your forgiveness. He has forgiven you and you will receive the gift. God is a great gift giver. Jesus talks about prayer in the New Testament and the Gospels, and he says, you need to pray like this and pray like that. And then um, I'm, I'm just, none of this is in my notes, all right? So I'm just going off the cuff. So, and he says, who would, uh, as a father, give your child a snake when they ask for something good, right? Who would give them something that would be harmful for them? And then he says, and, and if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, why would he not 
send him to you. Like he says, pray because the Holy Spirit is a gift from God. Like you will get the gift of the Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S, the pneuma. It, the word spirit is pneuma. It's this breath of God. It's God breathing his spirit onto you and in you and upon you. What? You mean like the spirit that Moses got to have, but not everybody else did? The spirit that came upon Samson to do miraculous? That same Holy Spirit? Yeah, that same Holy Spirit. Upon you, all of you. Wow. Wow. For the promises for who? For you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words and solemnly testified, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I don't think that sentence has changed ever. Today, I would say, be saved from this perverse generation. Like, this is a broken world we live in. Why would you not want to repent of the broken world and be filled with, immersed in Jesus and filled with the Spirit and walk into all the gifts he has for you. This is the promise of God. And the last verse we're on. So then those who had received his words were baptized. So they did it when? Right away. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. <laughs> That's a lot of Duncan, all right? That's a lot of, like, a lot of people in the water. And right at this very moment, what we call today the church was born. Back then it was called the way. We are here because of that moment in history. Some things I, I want you to understand. This is the last point. If you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit always points you to Jesus. Okay? Because the Holy Spirit came from Jesus. God the Father said, I'm giving you and pouring out the Holy Spirit so that you can then pour out the Spirit on, all, on everyone. If you are doing something in the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's working in you, it will always point you and whoever you're working in back to Jesus. If it's pointing back to anybody else, it is a work of the flesh, not of Jesus and not of the Holy Spirit. I've seen so many times, this is just a quick warning. There's, there's a lot of people that distort the work of the Holy Spirit and they actually do their own works, call it the Holy Spirit, and then ask you for money. False prophet, be warned, okay? They're working in their own flesh, calling it the Holy Spirit. And process, usually that person. It doesn't point to Jesus. If you are seeing the work of the Holy Spirit, it will always point to Jesus, and there'll be no money exchanged. Once it becomes about money, it's no longer a work of God. It's a work of man. It's a work of flesh. Be careful. I'm just forewarning you, especially if you're new in the faith and you start watching Christian television. Be careful. There are harlotins out there trying to steal and take in the name of the Holy Spirit. But it's not a work of the Holy Spirit because it's not pointing you directly to Jesus. It's pointing your dependence upon them to give you or to pray for you or to make sure you get that miracle. Or You know what I'm saying? That's not how it works. That's not how the Spirit works. 
we all have the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christ follower, if you have put your faith, if you've repented, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Woo! Yeah. Now, here's the thing. We learn later in the New Testament, but you, even as a Christ follower with the Holy Spirit, have your fleshly power to quench the Holy Spirit, either by sin, by choice, by behavior. We can do things in our own flesh, even if we have the Holy Spirit. This is a part of the learning process of faith. And we're going to be talking about this through the whole book of Acts, okay? <laughs> so this is like 101. We're going to keep going and, and learning how this works. So question, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the promise is you will receive the Holy Spirit. Um, there are doctrines out there, and we're going to talk about this stuff later on, okay? Because some of you, I know, come from different backgrounds. We've got some Pentecostal folks in the house. You all get excited, right? And we've got some, like, uber-conservative, uh, maybe Baptists in the house. We, you know, we all have all these. We're, I, love, I love that we are a denominational mutt in this church. Amen? Like, we all come from different backgrounds, and I love it, okay? And we learn to love each other even if we don't agree on things. That is the way the church should work. Like, we should love each other no matter what. Um, because there's a doctrine called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that some would say you receive the Holy Spirit and then there's a separate work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into all that. I'm not today, okay? We're going to talk more about that and what that means and what that looks like. We're going to look at biblical, okay? So just know we're going to do a deep dive into that. If you're wondering about that, um, we, will, we will talk about those things later on. Today, all I want you to understand is that we all, if we believe in Christ, have the Holy Spirit. Really quick, as I wrap this up, Ephesians 1 says this, In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise. When you accept Jesus Christ, when you have faith and confess and repent, you have the Holy Spirit gifted and given to you as the seal, meaning it's the seal of your salvation. It's the promise of your salvation. Who is the first installment of our inheritance? That's a cool way to think about it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's like the first deposit in your spiritual account. Like, boom, whoo, Holy Spirit, whoa, right? He's like, in, <laughs> of your inheritance, in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Who gets the glory and in the end? God always does. If it's for anybody else's glory, it's not God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It always points back to God. I want all of us to understand as Christ followers, we can pray for and receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, that you can um, be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even if you have him in you, you can quench him, but you can learn to walk in the Holy Spirit to let him guide you. And that's what I want us to learn over, over these next number of weeks. What did that look like in the early church? What do we, well, even through the whole New Testament, um, we want to experience all of what God would want and have for us as Christ followers from the beginning of this deposit of the Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that uh, your word never returns void, that it always goes out and accomplishes all that it wants to. And this morning, as we study and learn about this moment in history that changed everything, the Holy Spirit poured out on all of us. Thank you for that gift, God. That you have not left us hanging and that you have not left us to try to figure out this stuff on our own. 
that you, have, you fill us, you empower us, you gift us. Man, thank you, Jesus, for all those things. Now, let's take a moment, just stay in this attitude of prayer today. If, if you have not believed on the person of Jesus Christ, if you have not repented, which just means turn from your sin and give it to God and turn to God and let Christ be your salvation. If you have not done that, today is your day. You can start today. There's this tradition in the American church or churches around the world where, where you can pray and receive Christ, but I need you to know there's no magic words of a pastor that will ever get you to heaven. We're all on the equal playing field at the foot of the cross. I'm just here to let you know Jesus can save you. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, He died on the cross for you and He rose again, you too can be saved and you can have this relationship. You can have the Holy Spirit. If you want that today, I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now and make it your own words, your own confession. But if that's you, you say this. You say, God, I believe that Jesus is your Son, that He died on the cross for my sin, and I'm asking you for forgiveness forgive me of my sin. I want to repent and turn from my sin. I want to turn to you. So free me, heal me, forgive me, lead me, and give me your Holy Spirit because I know I can't do it on my own. I want to be yours now and forever, and I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart. So save me, God. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. For all of us in this room to stay in this moment of prayer, because if you are a Christian, I want you to repeat a prayer after me, and it's a dangerous one. So, so but if you want to pray this, I, it's a prayer of asking the Spirit to work. Okay. So if you want that this week, if you want that, I'm just you pray this to God. But you can pray it out loud, and we can pray it together. You can say this: Say, God, lead me by Your Holy Spirit. Forgive me if I've quenched your spirit. Fill me and empower me to live for you this week. I want to love you and be led by you. In Jesus' name, amen. God, we just praise you. Amen, amen. Whew. This is good stuff, isn't it?